Show them you want peace. Show them Gelflings will not harm us. Please, please, please. Jen! No! Come, please, please, yes, please. Yes! No! Come on, Karen. No! Hello and welcome to 80s Movie Montage. This is Derek. And this is Anna. And this week we're happy to present to you the 80s family-friendly <laughs> movie, The Dark Crystal. Please? Please? I it's, can't. I can't. <laughs> it's, it's terrifying. And like that clip that we just listened to is one of my favorite clips of uh, Chamberlain just because it shows how... Like you hear him with this like whimper that he's his character is so well known for, but then you see how twisted he is, and mm-hmm. you see how quickly he turns into mm-hmm. something like really terrifying. Right. Yeah. And I mean, again, terrifying, horrifying, but really, really well done. So when I yeah. use those terms, I'm not honestly saying it in a in a negative manner. I mean, that's the way that character is supposed to be depicted. Oh, yeah. And nailed it. Nailed it. And <laughs> so between, you know, the voice actor and the performers, I mean, well done. Yeah, because aside from, like, his voice going through that change where it just becomes, like, so sinister. Yeah. He's doing this thing with his arms where he's, mm-hmm. like, kind of spreading his like arms not really wings but Mm -hmm. they're like really weird creatures so just it's just so menacing and terrifying it's great wonderful for children (laughs) (laughs) exactly what kids need it's just wholesome family fantasy entertainment (laughs) so let's dive in yeah uh all right so dark crystal 1982 so we are on the cusp of its 40th anniversary yeah 39 years ago this movie came out and, you know, as far as the people who are involved with the making of this film, we've we've gone through films before where there's a lot of kind of like repeat names because um, they like worked with each other on other projects. Yeah. But this one is a little bit different because we're just going to keep hearing the same names for the different roles they played in this same movie. Yeah. Because there are, I mean, as we talk about with our special guest and... So many people had to contribute to this film just to make it work. Each character was basically five or six people. Exactly. And so, 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 so many people worked on this film. But there are a few names that come up again and again as far as kind of the individuals behind the creative vision for it. Yeah. And probably at the top of that list is Jim Henson. Yep. So... As far as the individuals who wrote the screenplay for this film, we have two two gentlemen. First is Henson. He is credited with like story by. So, you know, he was the one who had this idea for for this movie. Yeah. And I mean, I say Jim Henson kind of with the assumption that everybody knows who Jim Henson is. I think I, I hope I think they, they do. do. Um, but you know, I mean, look, we probably all know him best as being the voice of Kermit the Frog and the creator behind the Muppets, including Kermit, Miss Piggy, and Gonzo, and Fozzie, and all those great people. Or waka waka. Characters. Yeah, waka waka. Um, and yeah, I mean, he has a really interesting career. Now, like I said, names are going to be repeated as I go through 
kind of all the different roles, major roles that contributed to this film. Yeah. But I tried to parse out uh, for their particular credits, the other credits under the same title. Uh, again, there's going to be repetition because like Jim Henson pretty much like wrote and performed and, you know, directed on a lot of his projects, like did wear many hats. Yeah. Um, so that being said, so story by uh, some of his other writing credits include a show called Salmon Friends, um, which was a TV series that's kind of preceding us. Uh, he also was a well, well-known figure on Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very influential behind that show. Of course, The Muppet Show. Oh, yeah. So, Abby. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> And then we have, and we we do bring this up with Anne a little bit, because as far as like his film work outside of anything having to do with the Muppets, I think probably the two films you would think of are The Dark Crystal and then Labyrinth. Yes, I for think, sure. Right? Yeah. I, I, I mean, Labyrinth, I, I think of certainly secondary to The Dark Crystal, because I know that there are like puppets and that's like sure. a, a big part of that movie. But uh, the Dark Crystal is kind of like the the pinnacle of that in right. my mind. Right. Right. And then we go back to TV, and and I want to make it really clear that like if you were to go to Jim Henson's IMDb page, I am severely editing down all of his credits. But if you look at his credits, I'm going to say like a good eighty percent of them, if not more, in some way relate back to the Muppets, because obviously there's been just like so many different films, TV series, like special TV movies, uh, video games, like so many things that encompass this franchise. So I just kind of took a select few from that. We, I I don't know how much we need to go into the distinction between a puppet and a Muppet. Well, we did kind of talk about that with Anne. And then after the fact, we were watching some kind of behind the scenes stuff yeah. for specifically for the Dark Crystal. Yeah. They refer to them as puppets. So I was kind of positing like, I don't know, since it's under the Jim Henson name, is everything just a Muppet? Apparently not. They call them <laughs> puppets. So. I think uh, I think it gets a lo- the only gray area for me are the Fraggle Rock puppets because they seem the most like Muppets. They do. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, but, like, they're like Muppet cousins. Indeed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So also, speaking of, so Fraggle yeah. Rock. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we kind of talk about is there kind of like if we want to talk about cousins, you know, the Podlings. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like the, that's like a distant relative. I feel, maybe not I feel even like, so distant. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Maybe whatever like alternate parallel weird world they live in underneath that uh, shop. Mm-hmm with the big shaggy dog mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is somehow connected to uh, another world a thousand years ago. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Maybe. My personal favorite, Muppet Babies. <laughs> yeah. Love I mean, Muppet Babies. What was so fun about Muppet Babies were all of the uh, like Raiders and Star Wars oh, references. Loved it. It was amazing. Loved it. It was like my happy place, the, yeah. the emergence of the, is that a word? Yeah. Of <laughs> We just made it up. Of, Maybe uh, I don't know. Of Muppet Babies and those other franchise. And then uh and we, you know, 
do speak of this with Anne again, that Jim Henson, he passed away at such a young age. He left us far too soon. So he's also credited as a writer on the TV show Dinosaurs, which technically Mm. came out after he had passed, but it was apparently based on one of his ideas. Okay. So he's given credit for that. Um, So that is just a very select few credits, writing credits for Jim Henson. And then the gentleman who actually wrote the screenplay for The Dark Crystal goes by the name of David O'Dell. And he also, you know, he he had a really good run in the 80s and some pretty iconic uh, credits to his name. So Running Scared. Okay. He also wrote on The Muppet Show, the TV show. Nice. Supergirl. It's one of his the, movies. The movie. Yeah. Not the show, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, Masters of the Universe. Well, um, they can't all be masterpieces. <laughs> and then because of you know, him being the screenwriter behind The Dark Crystal, he has a credit for The Dark Crystal, The Age of Resistance, because okay. it's, it's based upon the motion picture screenplay. Got it. So, okay. So moving on to directors, plural. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time we've had, right, of all the films that we've covered, multiple directors? I think so, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I mean, we've now at this point had, like, multiple editors on stuff, that kind of thing. But I think it's the first oh, time we've yeah. had two directors. Yeah. One of which, again, Jim Henson. And... That makes sense. His buddy, Frank Oz. Yeah. Uh, so we've brought up a couple times. We have, and yeah. j- very recently, another yeah. for other films. Um, okay, so Henson, like I had kind of mentioned, wore a lot of hats for his projects. So he also directed on Sam and Friends. Uh, I tried to like branch out a little bit to bring in a couple other titles, like he directed on The Great Muppet Caper. He directed on the TV special Rocky Mountain Holiday with John Denver and the Muppets. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, Directed on Fraggle Rock. He directed Labyrinth. Interesting. And also directed many episodes of Sesame Street. So, again, a little bit of repetition there, but that's because this is a guy who, like, really had his hand in kind of every facet of his project. Is that a puppet pun? What did I just say? That he had his hand in all of these things? Oh, my goodness. I didn't even think about that. Well done. Okay, well, thank you. I can't really take credit for that since I was completely unaware of what I was doing, but thank you. definitely take credit. Okay, I take credit. So, Frank Oz. Frank Oz. Wow. He's another one. I mean, go to his IMDb page and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, it's it's, I think it just crashed my computer. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, this guy is... And, and I mean, he's still with us. He's still actively working. I mean, it's incredible. So as far as his directing credits, because he also is one of those guys where if you do go to his IMDb page, I mean, there's like at least a half dozen titles under the different things that he's done. You know, you'll find a lot of him for Yoda. You will find a lot yeah. of him for Yoda. And we will we will definitely get to that. Um, but as far as like some of his directing credits, mm-hmm. Muppets Take Manhattan. And actually, I didn't I didn't honestly realize how much directing he had done. I kind of always think of him as a performer or voice actor. So I was like, oh, I didn't really realize this. But he's done pretty well for himself. He's out. done extremely well for himself. <laughs> so besides Muppet Take Manhattan, Little Shop of Horrors, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, What About Bob and an Out. Bowfinger, The Stepford Wives, not the original, the one with Nicole Kidman, uh, and Death at a Funeral. So I find what I find really interesting about his directing credits is I also think of Frank Oz as somebody in the like 
puppet world or kind of like fantasy world and all these credits are just for like straight live action narratives so and and i know that he has also been featured as a real life actor and i'll get to that in a minute um but yeah i just found that interesting yeah so okay here also is something i'm going to try to get away from using the word interesting all the time here's something that's fascinating about (laughs) (laughs) the movie all right is that and we've kind of come across this i think specifically i remember when we were talking about goonies i was uh surprised by you know it's not considered like this acclaimed accomplished type of film what i know i know i i know we think differently about it but it should be thought of for all of those things (laughs) but it had a ton of really accomplished creatives and technicians that were part of the film and same here like i don't know if people really think i mean i think for sure for sure as we talk about with anne people recognize the tremendous creativity behind the film um, the amount of work that went into creating this world and manipulating all of these puppets. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if they really think about it as like having people attached where there's like a lot of kind of like critical acclaim. I don't know. I bring this all up because the cinematographer on the film, gentleman by the name of Oswald Morris. And when I was looking at his credits, I was like, wow. I mean, he okay let, let me just go through them so just some some of his credits a farewell to arms mm-hmm. the guns and navron okay lolita the taming of the shrew oliver so oliver won best picture 1968 i believe he got a best cinematography nomination for that film also shot goodbye mr chips he won the best cinematography oscar for fiddler on the roof the man with the golden gun Got another Best Cinematography nomination for The Wiz and also worked on The Great Muppet Keeper. I mean, that's incredible, (laughs) but it makes sense that they they need somebody who's very accomplished. And to do what they did with the technology that they had, I mean... How do you how do you create this film where you have multiple characters, each of whom is is being controlled by several other humans, and do it in a way so that what we see on, on the screen works right so I, I guess in in a way it's it's amazing that somebody so accomplished is is part of like this puppet movie but then maybe he was the perfect person to put that yeah, together yeah i mean and and to to your point this actually was his final credit because there's nothing left to do after the <laughs> there's nothing crystal. there's no way to top the dark nothing, crystal. Left to prove. <laughs> nothing left to prove but um i mean i think that says a couple things you know he is obviously extremely established in his career but those films are all live live action pictures and so it's i'm imagining a completely different monster to be shooting something like this but i feel like only somebody who has had enough experience even if it's not for this type of particular storytelling would probably be best equipped to do it yeah i mean it's it's not animated but it's not really live action in the way that we would normally conceptualize it yeah it is technically live action but it's not live action with human actors yeah i mean you're dealing with practical pieces and and such and that's what i think like watching it 
when it, when it first came out was, was so amazing. Like I, we've watched movies now and it's like, Oh, I I know, I kind of know what they did to make a lot of these effects work because Mm -hmm. I know that, that computer technology advanced to the point where you can make like anything look pretty real. Mm -hmm. But back then it's amazing what they were able to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as a child, felt real, real. Yeah. I, There was no real, I mean, the suspension of disbelief was immediate. Yes, yes. And terrifying again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so pretty pretty amazing um, cinematographer on this film. I'm just glad there's a James Bond connection to the Dark Crystal. Oh, the man with the golden gun? Yeah. Okay, I thought that was a James Bond. As, as I've mentioned before, I'm not a Bond film person so i thought it was i didn't even think to track but i was like i think that is that was a that was a fun one okay you know scaramanga that was the bad guy all right yeah cool another highly accomplished individual as part of this film was ralph keplin who was the editor so he cut this film and like same i went and actually you know what i found so interesting so when we talk about like what I said at the top of this episode where with like other films that we've covered we'll often see these relationships established between maybe a director and a cinematographer it's usually director and somebody else um cinematographer editor whatever and they go on to work on multiple projects together what I found really interesting here and I don't know if it's because um both the cinematographer and editor came out of Great Britain and so I don't know if it was just a function of films having been produced there and that's why they were on board with the same projects i was like oh this is so interesting that a cinematographer and editor Hmm. share a ton of credits for the same projects interesting um and that is the case here so ralph kemplin uh this also was his final credit this was the last thing he did. Um, but some of his earlier credits, pretty amazing stuff. He did The African Queen. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, uh, apparently a acclaimed movie. Acclaimed movie. <laughs> um, Moulin Rouge, the one not with not, Nicole Kidman. <laughs> not the one with Obi-Wan. No, no. Young Obi-Wan. Um, but he did also receive a Best Film Editing nomination, Oscar nomination for it. Okay. The Night of the Iguana. Oh. A Man for All Seasons, which also won Best Picture. Oliver again. He also was nominated on that. Um, Best Editing. He also worked on Goodbye, Mr. Chips. The Day of the Jackal, for which he received yet another. Was that remade? I feel like there was a remake of that, too. Possibly. Possibly. So the the 1973 Day of the Jackal. Yeah, I'm talking all originals here. Yeah. There may have been a remake that wasn't called The Day of the Jackal. Not sure. They switched up the title? Yeah. Okay. And then he also worked on The Great Muppet Caper. I also want to highlight that he was part of a movie called To Kill a Clown. Thank you. It's a great I'm, title. I apologize for that oversight. <laughs> no, and I usually like the ones with the really great titles. For people so. who don't like clowns, I thought they might like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so music. Music was done by a gentleman named of Trevor Jones. And so unlike our cinematographer and editor, he was actually kind of earlier in his career because he's gone on to do some really iconic. And one of them, yeah. I was like, when I realized, I was like, that's the same guy? Yeah. And you probably know which one I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, so, so some of his credits, Excalibur, he was uh, the composer on Labyrinth. Mm. And then, I mean, Mississippi Burning, Arachnophobia, here's the one. That I was like, whoa, The Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, no, I figured that would be the one. <laughs> I mean, one of the most iconic scores. 
uh, gorgeous, gorgeous score. And I was like, I didn't realize that that's the same guy. Uh, a movie that we have been talking about we a lot We recently lately. watched, yeah. Yeah, Cliffhanger. Wow. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, he comes back on for another Daniel Day-Lewis movie, In the Name of the Father. And, you know, he's got some range. Uh, also did G.I. Jane. Okay. Did Dark City, Notting Hill, and then The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Interesting. Some of his credits. Well, I thought he did... I mean, I'm not... In a way, it's it's surprising to see, like, the breadth of his work and yeah. that he was involved in Last of the Mohicans. But the score for The Dark Crystal is, like, pretty kind of striking and beautiful mm-hmm. in its own way. There's the, the this recurring theme that by the end of the movie, you're kind of like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. maybe it was overplayed a little bit. But it, it's really effective. And I think... It, it adds so much to the movie. So, I think what you just said could be equally applied to Last of the Mohicans. Yeah. There's the same refrain that is used a lot yes. in the movie, but it's so effective and really adds this. I mean, to this day, I cannot watch that movie without bawling several times over in the movie. And a huge reason for that is the music. So good i guess on trevor jones for making me cry yeah jim um, henson wanted to terrify you <laughs> and this guy wanted to make you cry yeah mission accomplished so i kind of saved um the last kind of behind the scenes credit for a gentleman who really deserves a lot of credit okay. for what this film was and that is the, the gentleman i'm speaking of is brian frowned so he had a couple uh titles attached to this film one was costume design but the bigger one the more comprehensive one is conceptual design yeah it even that kind of undermines the amount that he actually Mm -hmm. contributed to this movie being made i mean he says that it took like literally five years of his life (laughs) to to get this movie together and uh, you know, I feel very lucky because we were watching kind of some of the behind the scenes documentaries where we got to learn more about this gentleman. Yeah. Because I am, I am truly, truly not taking anything away from Jim Henson. We talk about it with Anne that this probably would have never been greenlit had it not been for his attachment to it and his his passion to make this yeah. happen. Um, so give him full credit for that. But it really, really should be known that Brian Frowned was kind of the mastermind behind just exactly how this film looks yeah it wouldn't have been made without henson but it wouldn't it wouldn't look the way it looks right. like it really took both of them yes and you know, my understanding is that henson kind of went to to brian froud early on mm, with yes. just like here's the idea that i have yeah. so the two of them work together mm-hmm. and i don't f- from what i have read or learned about henson he's not the kind of person that would assume to like he would be fine with sharing absolutely all, every bit of credit that's deserved yeah, for the movie. Yeah, and I want I want to make that just as equally clear that like I'm not trying to say, and we mentioned this with Anne that like Jim Henson was in any way trying to say no, this is my movie, this is my vision, this yeah. is my my my. You know, like I don't think that at all. I think you can say it for so many other movies, which is yes. why it's worth pointing out exactly, for this one. exactly, and just considering the amount of work and energy and and talent and creativity that went towards this film that's that's all i'm saying is that he should be recognized for it i mean just when you look at the key art for the cover of the movie it's like this is going to be amazing absolutely (laughs) it's going to be epic and you know as far as like his other work because his his whole thing is not he's not really like a film person per se 
Um, he's this kind of he he more I think would consider himself like an illustrator. Yeah. Um, and so he doesn't have a ton of film credits, but that doesn't. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you really need to have a ton of film credits if you really were the person behind the Dark Crystal. But I don't think it's surprising that he also uh, was like the conceptual designer on Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Um, makes all the sense in the world. And he, d- I found this really interesting. He does have a costume designer credit on the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. I'm not sure if he was like, actively working on that series which you know we talk about with Anne just was one year yeah um one season or if like you know kind of like what i was saying with uh odell that because of his original designs he was given credit, that credit because they, over. exactly yeah. exactly um okay so we are moving forward to and this is this is unlike anything we've done before in terms of the quote stars yeah, of the film. when we get to the cast, it's it's interesting because there's this split, which may be counterintuitive between how people are credited as the, as the performers versus the voice. Right, right. The voice is pretty self-explanatory, but the performers are essentially like the puppeteers, right? Yes. It's, it's really interesting how they set that up on IMDb because I think and even I for a hot second I was like wait a minute I don't think Jim Henson voiced Jen and he didn't Mm -mm. but you would maybe think that based on how the credits are exactly exactly so I want to make that really clear so I'll try to I'll try to be as clear about this as we kind of describe all this um so in terms of quote starring Jim Henson has the first credit that is because he was the person that like the puppeteer, the person manipulating the puppet of Jen, the performer, as as they're exactly. referenced in, in here, yeah, performer. Thank you. Um, and not just Jen; he also did the high priest. I mean, I think uh, a lot of these people had <laughs> to use the same pun their hand in um, more than just one character. Yeah. Um, but the two that are most prominent for Jim Henson were Jen and the high priest. But to make it clear, he was the person manipulating the puppet. He was the performer. Sure. The person who was the voice of Jen is a gentleman by the name of Stephen Garlick. So he voiced Jen. And then the person who voiced the high priest was a gentleman by the name of Jerry Nelson. Got it. So there's that difference there. I am going to, just because, I guess, for consistency's sake... Um, read off other credits of Jim Henson as a performer. Okay. <laughs> for Because, you know, even though he did a lot of stuff directing and writing and all that kind of thing, I think most people do also associate him with being kind of the performer behind um, a lot of these other projects. But also what is interesting, he wasn't just, again, the person manipulating the puppet. He did a lot of voice work. Yeah. So it's an interesting choice that they made to not have. I don't know if it's because maybe he was older and couldn't couldn't mimic a younger voice, possibly. Um, and Jen is like a young Gelfling. So um, I don't know if that had anything to do with it or if like it was just going to be too much for him to be responsible for. Yeah, there was a lot going on. It may have made more sense and it may have been a, just a better fit with the characters, allow him to focus on on like different aspects yeah. so that somebody could could do the voice. I don't, I don't know, but... So per IMDb... He did enough. He did enough. He did enough. Um, as far as like performance credits, one of the first things we have for him, Sam and Friends. So this started 
1955. And as far as IMDb is concerned, this is kind of the first appearance of Kermit the Frog. Okay. So that's where he kind of first was introduced to the world. Um, we also have Tales of Tinker D, another it's a TV movie, also had Kermit the Frog. So then we have the Jimmy Dean show, which appears to be the first appearance of Ralph the dog. Oh. And at that time, they could not get straight the way they were going to spell his name. <laughs> yeah. So we both Is it have... Ralph or Ralph? Yeah, exactly. We have it with an O and with an A. Uh, Kermit the Frog also made an appearance on the Ed Sullivan show. I didn't realize, actually, how involved Jim Henson was with Saturday Night Live. But he was also part of... Had, had been part of that series in terms of voice work. Okay. Uh, and we also have, obviously, the Muppet movie where he was the voice of Kermit the Frog... Ralph, Wardolf, and the Swedish uh, chef. Oh, yeah. Among others, but those are the biggies. I uh, I also wanted to mention, I don't know if you're going to bring up Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Oh, it was not. So but, yeah, that's that's an amazing thing that he was also part of. That is an amazing title. Yeah, as Kermit the Frog, I think, uh, voice uncredited for that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And then we have, you know, the TV show again, the Muppet Show, the Great Muppet Caper. A lot of Muppets. A lot of Muppets in China. There was Big Bird oh, in China. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, we also have Muppets Take Manhattan. Uh, he did perform in Labyrinth, but he was uncredited for it. Uh, also was part of Fraggle Rock. Mm-hmm. And then again, um, part of Sesame Street. And because, like, you know, Kermit the Frog made several appearances on Sesame Street, but also he voiced Ernie and he voiced the Baker. Yeah. So, among others. I mean, you have to go to their, like, if you really, really want to get the skinny, go to their IMDb page, and it will show you a huge block mm-hmm. of characters. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's... Yeah. So, <laughs> so again, I am severely editing down all these credits. But, all right, moving on to the individual who performed Kira, the other Gelfling, mm-hmm. woman by the name of Catherine Mullen. Now... She was the person who was the puppeteer behind yep. Kira. The person who voiced Kira is a woman by the name of Lisa Maxwell. So okay. there is a difference there. But as far as Mullen's work is concerned, I mean, again, it's very clear that all these people, I mean, I'm kind of wondering, like, just how big the puppeteering world could possibly be. So it kind of makes sense that they are going to the same people. And, you know, she has credits for The Muppet Show, Great Muppet Caper, Muppets Take Manhattan, Fraggle Rock. A little bit different, Legra's Window, she was part of, but also then part of Sesame Street. So those are some of Catherine Mullen's credits. Okay, moving on to our co-director, Frank Oz, Mm -hmm. who also was a performer in in the movie so he performed agra as well as chamberlain yes uh so he did the those are the two biggies his two main characters but as we've been doing the person who actually voiced agra a woman by the name of billy whitelaw she did an amazing job by the way amazing so good yeah i mean the way that that character speaks just informs that that figure so much. I was going to say the way that Agra sits down every time. You really liked that. It, it do, really, it, do it for us. Uh, there you go. I mean, basically, <laughs> it was just uh, with supreme effort. <laughs> yeah. With supreme. Did Agra sit down? A little, a little like I don't know if there's some arthritis going on there or what was happening. Something, but it was it was kind of hilarious actually. Yeah. It only got funnier every time it happened because I'm like, really, they're gonna do it yeah, again? Yeah, I loved it. All right. And then we do mention him because we all I think 
you, I, and Anne were all in consensus of how effective Chamberlain in terms of the voice actor, <laughs> just how effective he was. And as our intro also, I think, shows, um, the gentleman who voiced Chamberlain was Barry Deneen. So yeah. high props to you, Barry Deneen. But as far as Frank Oz's other performance credits, okay, yeah. so like I tried to edit down. I really, really, really did. I okay. still have 27 credits <laughs> for him. I'm telling you, like, that's because this guy, it's crazy. Does he sleep? I don't know. Like, and and he, you know, has had, or had, I should say, um, a very close relationship to Jim Henson. They worked together on on so much of what, of what Henson did. And, you know, we're going back all the way to, again, the Jimmy Dean show. So he was the Ralph assistant. I thought that was fun. Yeah. So I added that one. Um, he was on Our Place, which was just a TV series. And I think that is the first reference of Cookie Monster. <laughs> so I had to put that one in there. Nice. He also worked on Saturday Night Live. So wasn't really aware of that. That was new information for me. Um, the Muppet movie, where, again, multiple voices. He did Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, Animal, Sam the Eagle. So those are some of his. Now, if you didn't know Frank Oz from all the Muppet franchise, what you, I hope, do know him from is Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy, talk about... I don't know, being born under a lucky star? I don't... <laughs> I mean, to be part of both of these? I mean, Frank Oz? Yoda! He's he's the voice of Yoda. Voice of Yoda. Yeah. But I'm also wondering if he manipulated... I mean, obviously, Yoda became digital down the road, but in those first three films... Um, I don't know off the top of my head if he also was the puppeteer behind Yoda. He definitely was the voice of Yoda, but um, not sure if he did double duty on that. Uh, but... The reason why you mentioned, like, oh, we were just talking about um, Frank Oz is because, although we haven't done this episode's upcoming, but we've been just, like, watching it lately, Blues <laughs> Brothers. Yeah. he And he plays kind of the same character in Trading Places and Blues Brothers. Yes. Yes. Um, and then also, unfortunately, while his scenes were deleted, he was a brain surgeon in Superman 3. I had that. <laughs> I had that. So I was like, oh, I would have liked to have seen those. I'm sure we can find them somewhere. Yeah. Um, but then also, again, going back to his, you know, many, many collaborations with Henson, he was part of The Muppet Show, The Great Muppet Caper. Um, I thought this one was funny because I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that does check out. So he is a credit for an American werewolf in London. Really? Yeah, because Miss Piggy is in it. Holy shit. And also a character. And like, I know we've seen that movie multiple times. Off the top of my head, I don't know who Mr. Collins is. Yeah. I think he's... Um, I think he's one of the people that he kills. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think I'm thinking. Um, and then, of course, because of Yoda, Return of the Jedi, uh, tra you mentioned Trading Places, Superman 3, Muppets Take Manhattan, um, Spies Like Us. Yes. He's in Labyrinth. Yeah. He's the, uh, the test monitor. So while um, Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd are, are blatantly cheating in creative and hilarious ways, he just watches them and then flips a switch to record it all. It he's he's a very important part of this movie. Is okay, what I'm it's been a while since I've seen it, which is why I'm giving you a blank look. <laughs> uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol, Muppet Treasure Island. We also just had this on recently. Blues Brothers 2000. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's sad. I know. Um, and because of like 
the voice of Yoda. He has credits for The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, The Last Jedi, The Return of Skywalker. But then also, you know, he has branched out. He was in Monsters, Inc. Um, He also, again, part of Sesame Street because he voiced Bert, Grover, Cookie Monster, um, and then I thought this one was interesting. I didn't realize this because we still need to see this movie. He's in Knives Out. Hmm. So going strong, Frank Oz. Yeah, he's he's done plenty too. He's done plenty. Okay, moving on to our final credit. Uh, again, kind of with this disclaimer, so, so, so many people involved with this film, but, you know, we only have eight hours to do this podcast. It is, so. it is upgraded <laughs> to eight hours, yeah. Uh, gentleman by the name of Dave Goles. Okay. Uh, okay. So he was the performer behind Fizzgig. Amazing. Love. And the general. Okay. So, yeah. So the general is the one who... Who actually took over... Yeah. Uh, ...being emperor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but last time we'll point this out, the actual voice of Fizzgig was a gentleman by the name of Percy Edwards. And then the person who voiced the general was Michael... Kilgariff. Okay. Is it like that, like a lot of letters? <laughs> Is it actually phonetically? I was figuring it out in my brain as I was saying it. So, okay. Kilgariff. Okay. Oh, okay. There you go. It's the abbreviated version. <laughs> so, among though, Dave Gold's other performing credits. Are they all going to be Muppets? Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean... Not all of them. Muppets slash puppets. Yeah. Yes. Uh, But this guy, man, talk about a career. So, the Muppet movie, he was Gonzo and Bunsen. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Also, obviously, part of the Muppet show, like the TV series. Great Muppet Caper, Muppets Take Manhattan, Labyrinth, Fraggle Rock, The Jim Henson Hour. Who was he in Fraggle Rock? Oh, boy. I didn't didn't put that down. Oh, he was... uh, he was Uncle Travelin' Matt, and he was Boober Fraggle. Oh, that's Boober. a great, great name. There you go. Dinosaurs, The Muppet Christmas Carol, Muppet Treasure Island, Muppets from Space, Sesame Street. I always liked uh, Muppets from Space, by the way. Yeah? Yeah, I always thought that was fun. Also part of Saturday Night Live, Muppets Most Wanted. Um, oh, I skipped, actually, the Muppet. So, like, that... It wasn't like a reboot, but just like they they kind of had a resurgence in the Muppets. And so is that one yeah. um, from about 10 years ago with Amy Adams. Oh, and, yeah. And um, oh, my Jason. goodness. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, we'll have to edit that out. <laughs> We're not going to edit that out. No, probably not. Um, so those two, because apparently he's like a huge Muppets fan. Yes. And that's like kind yeah. of, he was the impetus well, behind that happening. Yeah, and saving Sarah, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. yeah. Not saving, forgetting. Forgetting. Yeah, that was like a, a huge part of his story was his uh, puppet Dracula musical. That's right. Yeah, that's interesting how that was worked in. Um, Muppets Most Wanted, the new Muppets TV series that was on for a while. And then also he was part of The Dark Crystal, The Age of Resistance. I also want to bring up that in 2011. Jason Siegel. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even look um, that up. He also uh, provided some voice work in Little Big Planet Two, okay. a PlayStation uh, game. Oh, and okay. Also, he he did the voice of Doctor Bunsen Honeydew and Gonzo in a Waldorf in an episode of WWE Raw. 
Wow. Okay. Which is wild. That is wild. Yeah. All right. Whew. That was a lot to get through. It was. <laughs> All those credits. All right. So moving on. There to- could have been more. The- oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it really could be an eight-hour yeah. podcast. Don't worry, it's not. Don't worry, guys. Um, so, film synopsis. Yeah. Ready? <laughs> I I'm not ready, but do it anyways. Okay. On another planet in the distant past, uh-huh. a Gelfling embarks on a quest to find the missing shard of a magical crystal, and so restore order to his world. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. good. I mean, it's it's kind of like just a synopsis of the opening nar- narration. That brings you up to speed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I know there was a lot at the beginning of the movie. I it, said as much. I was like, this is a <laughs> lot of exposition being pushed through. But I think it, it makes sense after you watch some of the behind the scenes stuff and realize that uh, Henson and Oz were so deep into getting this movie made that they they got it. They knew the world. They knew all the characters. Mm-hmm. It all made sense to them. They screened it and people were like, what is this? Yeah. So I think a lot of that was just... Terrible first screening. Yeah. 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 Terrible first screening gets you a lot of narration. Yes. Yeah. A lot of narration. And um, according to like what I read, you know, they had... I mean, they were kind of like Tolkien, where they had created all these languages for all these different species, (laughs) and they were incorporating them in the film. And I mean, I don't know if they just expected that like you know the the body performance of the puppets would be enough to explain what was happening but it wasn't and so they had to go back in and And dub in like english uh dialogue to help it make more sense for audiences i think it i think it was the right choice yeah yeah i do too you know what are they gonna put subtitles especially if this you know (laughs) i think it's like i i feel a little dubious that it's really it really is a kid's film it is um you oh you feel quite confident that it is a kids film. It absolutely is a kids film. It's just a kids film for kids of a different era. True. It's it's not a kids film for for like 2020 kids, but it's a, you know, for even for the 80s, it was a bit aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it you know, the there was a different uh sensibility about that. Kids today are just weak. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> I'm just saying maybe maybe the kids who grew up with those movies are like, that kind of fucked me up, and I don't want to do that to my kid right now. That makes sense. Yeah. That checks out. Okay, as far as montage, uh, not really except for when you see Jen kind of first setting out on his path. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and just like literally traveling and we're just trying to kind of show the passage of time before he gets to Agra. A little adventure montage. A little adventure montage. Yeah. yeah. Hiking, so, hiking montage. You yeah, know. exactly. Hiking. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I think we are more than ready to dive into our conversation with Anne. I agree. Let's do it. And so we are beyond thrilled to have with us today actor, writer, and producer, Anne Arigin. Anne, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Anna and Derek. I'm so excited. This one, so this film, this is really fun and totally different from anything. I mean, the closest it is, I think, to anything that we've covered so far would probably be the never ending story as far as just like 80s fantasy kind of movie. But yeah, I was thinking also Transformers. A little bit. Just in terms of like voice <laughs> acting and that sort of thing. And your hand's like, what? In terms of, uh, <laughs> in terms of brutal death. 
affected that my That actually childhood. is very accurate. So let's just dive in. Okay. So, Anne, I am so I say this with all of our guests. I ask this question, but this one in particular, I am extremely curious to know like what, if any, were your first memories of seeing this film? Like how old you might have been, and just like your general experience with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I remember seeing The Dark Crystal when I was, gosh, like seven, eight years old. Um, Perfect. My- <laughs> right. <laughs> And like, but also putting parameters, like I watched movies like Jaws when I was like five, six. So this was a, kind of the stuff I was watching was a little darker. Um, but my dad actually saw The Dark Crystal on TV and he fell in love with it. Like he oh. thought it was like the coolest thing. He just was so enamored with like the way the puppets were moved and the way the storytelling was and the fantasy. And so the next time it came on, he kind of, I think it was playing and I, he was like, you got to come watch this. And he like plopped me down and we ended up watching the dark crystal together. Um, just the two of us. And I just remember being so like fascinated by like the creatures that I was seeing, like the Gelflings and the mystics and this entire world that didn't have like any like humans in it. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was so interesting. And I just, that was like my first memories was just being so enamored of like, how does this work? How like, like what are these things? And they're so cool. I love that you have this really endearing and like charming memory of seeing this with your dad. I mean, I think, Derek, I'm, I don't want to speak on your behalf, but I feel like both of us also saw it as children. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, mm-hmm. I remember seeing it in a theater. I don't remember who I saw it with, but I remember just being completely like sucked into this world because it's it's remarkable even now to think about what they were able to do with all of the technology that they mm-hmm. have today. Mm-hmm. Like it's still, like there are parts of it that are, like it's it's puppets, so it's a little janky in some mm-hmm, respects. Mm-hmm. But as a kid, it was just enthralling. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious, and so when you were watching this with your father and your young age, okay, so you kind of did preface that like you maybe had um, I don't know what the word I'm like a little bit of a thicker skin when it comes to like maybe a little bit scarier content. Um, so <laughs> when <laughs> some of these things came along in the movie, because like, we'll, we'll totally cover this, you know, we'll go down to this deep dive of <laughs> like kid-friendly content. But <laughs> did your dad at all navigate some of those scarier scenes for you? Or did he just let it wash over you and let you kind of interpret it as you wanted to or as you did? I mean, my dad and my my mom were both really good about, especially with films, um, mm-hmm. about being like, this is pretend, this mm. is not real. Because like, I think they could tell, like, you know, I think they could read me pretty well if my <laughs> eyes got big. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> gosh. They're like, it's just pretend. Don't worry. And, and so I think that kind of calmed me down a little bit. Um, but I know with this one, like, because like looking back on it, it's like, oh, there's some like just and it wasn't like scary like I was never really scared of like the Skeksis or anything like mm-hmm. that it was more of like 
there were some disturbing images, mm-hmm. like you know, the mm-hmm. Chamberlain's like getting like ostracized yes! and his screams, yeah. and I was like, yes, like those parts. I was like, oh, that like it felt very disturbing as a kid, but I don't know if I knew like fully how to process it. So it was like moments like that where my dad's like, it's just pretend like this is what it is. Um, And so I think that's why I was able to kind of watch kind of darker fantasies and like Mm -hmm. things that were like maybe seen as a little bit scarier because in my back of my mind, I was like, oh, this is this isn't real. Mm -hmm. You know, this is storytelling like and there's also something of getting through like movies like this at the end like when you're like a kid you're like yeah i did that yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I no i it think through. That's... it's like you're going on your own journey <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> to get through it i mean i it, so as we do with all of our films and when we know where we're going to have a guest on the show, we'll watch it the night before. So literally less than 24 hours ago, Derek and I revisited it. And now this is a film that, you know, definitely was something that was part of my childhood, but it had been a while since Mm -hmm. I had watched it. And so I'll admit that like some of the finer, you know, plot details and that sort of thing, I was, I wasn't remembering, but what I will never forget (laughs) from my childhood is that scene where they are, uh, extracting the essence of that one podling. And oh, yeah. I mean, when we hit that scene last night, I was like, oh yeah, yep. This is There's, this is I the stuff of my nightmares when I was a kid. <laughs> what's, what's so like disturbing and troubling about that or just what makes it harder to watch is this giant kind of scary creature taking this cute little guy yeah. and like physically shackling yeah. him to this thing and telling him like, all right, I'm going to suck all the life out of you and make you a slave. And then when like watching his face sink in mm-hmm. or its face mm-hmm. sink in. And then at the end is the worst because it just starts like this heavy breathing, like, holy shit. Yeah. That is a it's, lot. it's intense now. Okay. So all that being said, I want to read um, something to you guys. So, okay, I usually put up this disclaimer. I kind of take a lot of what I grab off of IMDb with a grain of salt, mm. but I feel like this might be pretty accurate. So I just like wrote it down in full to relay it uh, exactly as it is on the site. Jim Henson's plan with this movie was to get back to the darkness of original Brothers Grimm fairy tales. Mm. He felt that children liked the idea of being scared and that this was a healthy emotion for them with which to deal. So <laughs> I just want to comment really quickly on that. Sure. It did terrify me. Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. Same. Yeah, absolutely. Like in that, right when you said the grim part, I was like, oh, that's so true. Like, like if you like reading those old tales, it's like, like the heart, yeah. like, you know, the heart starts beating a little bit more and but then like at the end of it, it's like it's like almost like an adrenaline rush. You're like, oh, I did this. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. And and it's really interesting because like I can't really claim to be intimately familiar with the way that the Brothers Grimm like retold particular fairy tales. We I don't never met them. We don't <laughs> know them at all. <laughs> so so but I mean, obviously I know um between them and um oh who's the gentleman that Hans Christian Anderson. Um, as well, I believe had a darker take. Like, like if you, I think, really read what The Little Mermaid was about, it's much mm-hmm. darker than the Disney version. <laughs> um, and so I find that fascinating that, you know, they're called fairy tales, so you immediately assume they're for children. I'm curious if, like, Brothers Grimm, 
you know, Christian Anderson, if if there also was like a um, play to adult readers, you know, of being interested in these stories. But I just think that in general, you know, first of all, and where where do you stand on whether or not this and I know that we had this prequel on Netflix like a year or two ago, but do you think that this movie would have been made today exactly as it was made? I don't think so. Um, I was actually watching um, like a documentary like about <clears> the Dark Crystal um, and they were making comments um, about how, you know, it was really like they were like, oh, this is what we want to see on screen. And like nowadays, like it's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, you know, mm, there's like so many mm-hmm. different parties to consider, you know, it's like, oh, what's the target audience? And it's like yeah. at that time, it's like, this is what we want to see. This is what we want to tell. And that's so I'm kind of curious if it would have been like, I don't I'm not sure if it would have been exactly what it was if it was made like nowadays compared to, you know, kind of a little bit more like in how in the I think like in the it was like five years to make this. Yeah. Yeah. And like the late seventies, early eighties and kind of just like, well, that looks kind of cool. That looks kind of dark. We should put that in. You know, I'm not sure if that would have happened nowadays. I, I totally agree with you. I think, especially from some of the other movies that we've talked about, there definitely was more of a hands off uh, mentality. Not to say that like studios weren't involved, mm-hmm. but I mean, to, you know, the point you just made in terms of like, well, who's our audience? Like, how do we market that? Like, there's there's so much uh, looking over the shoulder and yeah. kind of micromanaging and for of anything, films nowadays. Any kind of kids content, there's also going to be oh, yeah. a, like, how can we make a lot of money off some merch for this? Right. Are we going to oh, be yeah. able to sell the Lance Riders when kids just saw one get like torn to pieces? <laughs> yeah. We don't know. <laughs> oh my God, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think both of your points are spot on, which is why, like, personally, I don't think that this kind of movie could ever get made today, um, both from those points of view. And also, I personally do feel like look Derek and I aren't parents we're not like coming at it from that perspective but right or wrong I feel like parents would be up in arms about something like this being marketed today for children yeah yeah especially like with like the scenes with like the essence like you you know (laughs) great family fun And then, uh, you know, obviously, spoilers, uh, she's brought back to life. But sure. When yeah. <laughs> when the little gelfling is like stabbed in the chest. <laughs> oh, poor Kira. I, I, I mean, literally like set up and I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was actually pretty surprised by how well I remembered this movie. Like, yeah, I he was calling. It. He was like, oh, get ready. <laughs> like before a certain thing happened. I was like, what's about to happen? I don't yeah. remember. It'd be a right. shame if this party was interrupted by a bunch of yeah. giant monsters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That, that's a good little slide. Like, that's a good one. Yeah. And But even like smaller moments, like the fact that Agra keeps taking out her eyeball. And, that really you know, disturbed you. It, you yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't feel like that's like crazy that I would be disturbed. <laughs> And what's just a random eyeball. What's interesting with the eyeball, it's like for me when she kept taking out the eyeball, like even with like the new Netflix one, I kept being like, oh my God, what if she loses it? Like my anxiety came in. I was like, oh God, Agra's eye. What happens if it just drops and like rolls away? And like, so it's like, I know as a kid, that was more of like, is she going to get her eye back? Like, well, no, but seriously, because that was, that was the only one she had. 
So the other one, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what happened in her life Is that like her, a, her other eye was already gone. Like but. a saline spray or anything that you wash that with before putting it back in, or is it just? Um, excellent question. Don't know if there was really that. Uh, <laughs> those were even available. Saline sprays were available. I mean, you in get this universe, a speck of dust on your eye. Yeah, gonna, she's it's just setting it down really on tables. And yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, it's another world. <laughs> Speaking of. So I, okay, let me, let me preface with this. Anne, how much of a Star Wars fan are you? <laughs> I, I'm definitely a Star Wars fan. Like I can't, I guess the reason I hesitate is like if I was to do like a, a major quiz with like very like detailed, detailed things, I probably sure. would fail miserably and they'll be like yeah you're not a star wars fan but i do i enjoy it like i love um like empire uh, empire strikes backs is like my favorite out of like yeah. the original yeah. trilogy it's and I, once again i'm like oh it is the darker one and it is like it's got it is puppets. the darker one <laughs> noticing a trend here um <laughs> i'm bringing this up because i'm just curious because again maybe it's because um you know, I was I was somewhat removed from the film, just not having seen it for several years and kind of looking at it with fresh eyes. Did you notice any similarities between the storytelling of this movie and that of like kind of kind of in a lot of ways, like collectively the the first three movies? So like A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. I I guess a little I guess I'm guess I'm now, now I'm like, oh God, did I? You know <laughs> <laughs> like, Well, I, I mean I know what, what really triggered it for, for Anna was <laughs> pretty close to the beginning when when Jen's adopted adoptive mystic Yeah, the high priest. Mm-hmm. The high yeah, when he basically does a one thousand percent Yoda death. Yeah. And oh, just yeah. kind of like fades away and, and even his like I think they got their robes from like the same yeah. like canvas robe place and it It, just kind of like drops down i'm like yeah that was that was return of the jedi it it really was it was kind of like it it kind of i and i totally see that like you know with like yoda and also like obi-wan and like how they both kind of just disappear yeah yes you know it's like they just fade away um and then you kind of have like the chosen one storyline as well Mm -hmm. you know kind of bringing balance um in, yeah. in a sense, to like this world, so absolutely. But this, I, of course, predated those. That's so. that's what is so curious about yeah. it. I'm not saying I'm not trying to make <laughs> any kind of like accusations of like Ruby. Although you know Frank Oz highly involved in both films. Yeah. Um. Both. Uh. Well, this is didn't become a franchise until just a year ago. But um. But in both both worlds, and I just yeah. I mean, I found it really interesting because you you know they never say. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but they do multiple times over, say a thousand years ago, and this is obviously a different universe than ours. Different planet. Different for sure. planet. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Different world. Um, so they bring that up. And then, yeah, exactly. And like, you know, the similarities between Jen and Luke, um, they're both, you know, pretty much orphaned um, mm-hmm. and are tasked with this like seemingly insurmountable. I, uh, I love how how Jen addresses that problem by looking out <laughs> over the the valley and saying, "I can't do this alone." And then there's like a five second pause. All right, then alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it, it's so great. Like just that, li- that moment there, you know, of like, am I doing this? I can't do yep. this. Well, <laughs> all right. <laughs> you know, which I feel like many people like, because that's the type of conversations I almost have in my head about things that seem like intimidating or even if it's like looks really fun it's kind of like that same well, what i got to lose now all right let's do it there's yeah i mean you literally have nothing to lose because you've kind of already lost everything yeah so so i just found the similarities um both in terms of like storytelling character and then like really interesting visual similarities um, like the scene that Derek mentioned where the high priest passes away. I mean, exactly as Yoda I mean, passes away. The way the emperor died, though, was oh, pretty Ooh. like metal. Like, it <laughs> was incredible. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's like as good a, um, you know, time as any to then just like, let's just get into the Skeksis. I, it's hard for me to like, they, I feel like they didn't make it very easy for kids to pronounce. <laughs> Uh, it's different. I, I still stumble on saying Skeksis. Like I have to yeah. like, think about saying it before I do because then it turns into I roll over the word the the phrasing wrong and then I get that look of like, are you a fan? I'm like, I swear I am. <laughs> I mean, they are terrifying. Again, I I mean, when we were watching the scene where they strip Chamberlain of his robes, <sighs> I had kind of forgotten how far that scene went so i was like oh my oh oh are they about to like just literally rip him to pieces like that's, i was like yeah that's what i thought was happening <laughs> when i was a kid for sure i i did not understand the fact that they didn't but it is still pretty much as terrifying as if they did is really fascinating to me i mean kind of going back not to like go into this uh deep you know, regression therapy with you, Anne, but like <laughs> when you first like like do you have memories of like when you first saw that happen and what you thought was happening in that moment? Um to bring up like what Derek said about like it kind of like sounded like they originally I thought I was like, oh, are they ripping him apart? You know, because yeah. the way he was the creature was kind of screaming and the agony. And then when you just see like getting smaller and smaller it was just i don't know it was just something about it that felt so vulnerable like even watching it now Mm -hmm, it feels mm -hmm. like such a vulnerable moment because i don't know if like for me it was like oh gosh like i think all of us in a weird way have felt that in in Mm -hmm. a sense and it's so primal and it's so raw so even as a kid i was like this feels so vulnerable and i don't know why i feel like i need to like hug something right mm-hmm. now especially like but i was kind of relieved to see like oh chamberlain is like you know still he's still alive um you know it definitely like also seeing like the way the design is under all of that garb mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was like oh my it was just <laughs> yeah. also like oh my goodness <laughs> you know like it's just like just seeing like the way the arms are designed it was just so like visceral like as a kid to see that whole scene. I I really liked the way that you described that. I think you're really hitting at it. Um, what, what kind of like almost beyond your control emotionally happens when you're watching something like that. Because like you said, it's just, it's this really intense moment where 
he has no allies. They're all coming. And, and I think part of it is they already look so intimidating and terrifying, even when they're not really even being active. And so then when they all turn on him and collectively are are coming at him, it is like I, I'm not a Chamberlain fan. No, you're not. You don't like him at all. No, I don't <laughs> like him at all. Um, But yeah, it it's a really emotionally impactful scene and i think it for me mirrors how i felt about the podling that the podling <laughs> scene be, yeah. for for kind of the same reasons um where you have this individual who is just in this supremely vulnerable position and and pretty helpless and you're watching this kind of awful thing play out with no one to help them yeah um there are elements of this movie that that make me think it's it's a fantasy movie, but also it's just a kid's horror movie, which mm-hmm. I don't think is a genre that exists, but it's it's taking like the equivalent of what we would see in a traditional horror movie where someone's just in a vulnerable position and you're just kind of in a, you have to watch something happen and you're just helpless watching this other helpless thing. Yeah. And, it- and Chamberlain is not a sympathetic character. None of the Skeksis are, mm-hmm. but you still find yourself like just feeling bad for Mm -hmm. for having to watch this all unfold Mm -hmm. oh my gosh absolutely like like you said like it's like you and especially knowing how chamberlain is you know and like what he what the character does it's still like seeing like that pain like you said it's like this Mm -hmm. sympathy and this empathy of like oh my gosh it's like I'm not a big fan of yours, but I still don't want you to be ripped to shreds either. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, which is... Hopefully that speaks to all of our humanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what I was going to say is that, like, for a kid, that's probably an important thing to be able to learn to have that empathy for something. Like, yeah, it, can you imagine you're... a kid being like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Fucking got what he earned. He deserved it. No. I want to take a moment since we're all kind of focusing on this particular character. Um, I mean, we'll we'll definitely get to just the genius behind all of the creatives who were actually manipulating all oh. of these Muppets. But I do want to give particular pro- Muppets. They are mu- well Muppets. Pup- I don't know. They're kind of. <laughs> I mean, it's Jim Han. Jim. Uh, use my words, Anna. Jim Henson. Yeah. So, um, so I just will probably refer to them as. Well, what's the difference? I mean, the Muppets are like uh, Kermit, right? Like, isn't that sure? Their, but uh, isn't Muppet also mm-hmm. just a term for these types of I don't know characters? I've never I'd never heard that, but it's completely possible. That's a really good question. You know, it's like, are they a part of like the Muppet family? But they're like that. I mean, that one podling that that's on the drums could probably help out Animal. <laughs> and, and we'll get to that too, because like the pod, like we're we're gonna put a pin in it for a second, but like we're gonna have a conversation about like podlings and Fraggle Rock. But um, <laughs> yes, but yeah, I mean, like I don't. I'm sure there is somebody out there who knows exactly what these types of creatures are meant to be called as a collective but i just think of them as muppets because they are out of in part yeah the jim henson world although like he certainly was not alone and and he wasn't even the person who like originally like who originated these these types of characters but um in any case i just want to give a quick shout out to barry denine who was the gentleman Mm -hmm. who voiced chamberlain and i thought like, wow, so effective. 
I mean, the second you heard that when we watched it last night, yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember yeah. like instantly all those memories came back and I'm like, hmm, I hate this guy. I know something bad is going to happen, but I still hate him. Right? I, I'm always, and actually I'm curious, and have you ever delved into the world of voice acting at all? Not really. Like I kind okay. of like dip my toe into it um, mm-hmm. a little bit. It's one of those where I'm like, you know, it's like you get people be like, oh, you should, you know, consider it. And it's like, well, I'll do that later. You know, so, <laughs> nah, you know, but it's one like I, eventually I would love to. Yeah, I just I find it really fascinating. I mean, I I'm I'm not an actor, um, but I find it particularly interesting when you are being tasked to emote and, you know, represent a character and also help to tell a story, but you can't really physically interact um, with other actors or even use like your own body to help in that expression. And, and so considering, you know, what he was able to accomplish and, and really all the actors, um, uh, voice actors in this movie, I just, I find that really impressive, uh, that they're able to do that. Yeah. And especially with Chamberlain, like, um, that noise that, mm, that oh, he had. Yeah. <laughs> like totally it because even like when they were bringing it to like um age of resistance and they had just that little hum and that his little noise in the trailer it was that mm. kind of like what you're saying Derek about like oh my gosh all the memories coming back and like mm-hmm. even with that the memories I was like oh that's right there's that character I remember mm-hmm. that character yeah, I mean, they did a magnificent job of, you know, and it's because it's a pretty short movie. I mean, I I can understand because I'm like I'm getting a headache just thinking about yeah. the like triple, quadruple, I don't know, amount of work that it took to make this thing happen even in and and just pulling off a, you know, your average live action <laughs> scripted film is really hard. Um so I I can only imagine the work that went into this. But I want to, like, since we're kind of in this place right now, um, you know, I've mentioned Jim Henson a couple times already. And, yeah, I just wanted to kind of get a little bit of an idea of, like, when you were a kid or even as you were just growing up, like, where where did you sit with, like, Jim Henson and your, um, you know, interest or appreciation or love for the Muppets as we know, Kermit and Miss Piggy and all those guys. Um, was that something that you were into growing up, Anne? Oh, yeah. My my parents um, were big fans. Like, it was kind of like they loved, like, the Muppet show. And so when I was growing up, like, I was <clears throat> raised on, like, Muppets Take Manhattan, you know, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and Muppets Christmas Carol. And it was just – I just love like – well, one, like the, the idea like a puppeteering just like fascinated me of like mm-hmm. you're taking something that really doesn't have life and you're putting like emotions behind it and like quirks and characteristics. And so I, I was always a fan. Like I just thought like the humor was hilarious because it was a mix of like dry sarcasm and slapstick, mm-hmm. which is right up my alley. And I remember like one of the first introductions I had was when Miss Piggy I think it was Muppet's Take Manhattan. She was trying to get her purse back and she put on roller skates and was just ru- skating yeah. <laughs> after the guy. And I just 
loved that scene. I thought it was so like at that point I was like Miss Piggy Stan all the way. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> So Anne, it sounds like you were watching Age of Resistance. Oh yeah, I I was a big fan. I it was just I think like just reliving childhood a little bit. Yeah. You know of like seeing like these kind of like characters you're kind of familiar with, like, you know, when like Agra comes out and you're like, oh, it's like good to see that character and see more of her, of that character. Mm -hmm. But then also just seeing where this world was like to get to where like Jen and Kira got, you know? And I remember like my boyfriend and I were watching it and he's like, that should be good. It's going to be a nice tragedy. I'm like, babe, what the (laughs) hell? (laughs) He's not wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) If you don't mind me kind of like, uh, you know, diving into that. So Derek and I, I mean, unless you were, were you watching it without me? I started watching the <laughs> first episode, but I don't think I watched beyond that because by the time I started it, I was really excited for it. And then I started watching it and I never picked it up. And then I heard that it was canceled after one mm, season. And yeah, so it's really disappointing. I'm not sure if after watching, you know, the movie last night, but knowing that, that there's only one season, it, you know, I, I don't know if I'll actually dive into it. I know that Netflix has said that they're trying to find a way to get the rest of the story out, mm-hmm. but I I might wait until I've been look. I've been burned by George R. R. Martin. I can only <laughs> same. Oh my gosh, yes. I can, I can only have so many incomplete stories. <laughs> it is it is really rough on fans. It's yeah. it's very rough on fans. Um, I think that and that can be a whole other conversation. Is you know, obviously, I know production company studios that are looking at a financial uh, bottom line, but I mean, they're really playing with toying with the emotions of these different fandoms. Especially when, when just, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, please, do, please go. Yeah. No, it's like, especially when like you get so invested and yes. you're like, yeah. you look forward to it and, you know, it becomes like a part of your like life or like, you know, oh, I need a break. I'm going to go watch this. And then it's like, like, well, we're just going to take this away. It's like if you find like a good, like, it, like, like I love wearing makeup. It's like you find that perfect lip color and they're like, <laughs> we're going to discontinue it. And you're like, oh, why? <laughs> totally like a certain shampoo you love. Yeah. And then it's like gone. I got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All of those things are just like the dark crystal. <laughs> <laughs> well, for some people. Yeah. 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 Um, so curious, did you feel like what they did accomplish in one season of the TV series? Like, were they able to kind of recapture that magic for you? Like, did they, how did it, did it look different? Did it seem like it was not of that same era? It did. Well, well, obviously like it kind of looks like a little like more polished, you know, just, but it still had that kind of heart to it. And like, you felt like it was still in that same world. And so that was just so nice to see like, when you see like how like the Gelflings, like how they had different kind of like clans and how each clan was a little bit different. And so it was so cool to kind of see just this their world a little bit more. Um, and I definitely geeked out without a doubt. And so the fact of the fact that it ended up not having a second season, especially like with where they took the show, I was like, oh come on. Like, cause I'm kind of curious like how things like get to that point where we get to Jen and Kira, you know, but it was, where's the rest of the Gelfling genocide? This was was a prequel, correct? Yeah. It's it's a, it's a prequel. And, um, 
and but just like the characters they they have like you know because you're kind of like looking at these characters going like oh are they their parents like who's going to be whose parents you you know and but they they have such amazing characters and amazing relationships and it was it was still kind of it sucks you in even though it's like you know it's still like you know like these puppet characters that are being created it's like i kind of would forget that they were like puppets at all and i was just sucked into the relationships that they were all having with each other it was so great well that's good to hear i mean it it makes it a little bit more heartbreaking yeah then they canceled it but um i guess it's good to hear that for what it was it you know fan fans i i'm i'm putting it the onus on you to represent all fans <laughs> that they, well, they you know, to like, enjoy. Oh gosh. All right. <laughs> I mean it but, seemed to it seemed to do justice to the legacy of the original. Yeah, movie. yeah. And fun fact, speaking of parents. Uh-huh. So okay, so on the set, um, I'm not sure if you had read this and that on the set of the film, Brian Frowned met and fell in love with a puppet designer. Do you know the story? Yes, with Wendy. I think that was her. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm a sucker for romance, so I was like, oh, that's just that's just so sweet, you know. It is so sweet. So he they they married. Um her name is Wendy Middener. Hope I'm saying that right. Yeah. Um but what is like pretty cool about the connection between the film and then the series is that they had a son. His name's Toby. He was the designer. On the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. That is pretty cool. That's so, so cool. Yeah. So it kind of continued on. Um, so I think I think that's really neat. I I can appreciate that um, you know, the powers that be in Netflix wanted to try to retain that connection because I mean, he's not the only designer out there, obviously. They could have brought anybody on. So the fact that they made a very conscientious choice. Of yeah. of bringing that particular person on, I thought was pretty cool. I That's- just wish they could have at least gotten their usual three seasons before then canceling it. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and I love though that it's like it's like in the family. It's like it's like it's kept in the family, which is really yeah. kind of just really sweet. And yeah, if we had gotten three seasons and it got canceled, I would have been annoyed. But I'd be like, well, alas, it was time. Well, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe there would have been you know at least more time had there not been the pandemic to mm-hmm. kind of strategize like you got one more season yeah. to wrap it up and if they had had that heads up maybe they maybe they could have done something but um alas yeah alas. wow a lot of alas um <laughs> <laughs> i always like i feel like i use alas a lot i'm like it's a good word it comes in handy sometimes <laughs> I'm not sure where I'm going to go with this it's, sentence. Alas. Alas. <laughs> it's very... That'll become our new um. Alas. Yeah. I I mean, I agree with both of you. I think that's something. And again, it, it's, it's a whole conversation because I feel like it's, you know, with streaming and just so many different platforms for storytelling to be shared. That's great. But I do feel like there has kind of been this... Um, this growth of like kind of lackadaisical whatever like we'll just cancel this the story it doesn't matter if the story hasn't been told to completion um again i get it financial bottom line you know like i understand that but um it it is something that's been quite frustrating to me mm-hmm. 
I mean, I I didn't watch um, Age of Resistance, but there's obviously been other stories. And now they did have, um, I believe it was three seasons. Yeah. But I was like a big fan of the show Glow. And it actually did get greenlit for a fourth and final season. And then, and I, I realized too, we have like craziness in the world still with 12 months of a pandemic. Nobody could have foreseen that. Um, but I just feel like there there isn't this like respect and, and care put towards the actual like storytelling that is meant to like that is what the the through line is of a tv show or a film or what have you and and when that's not respected i just feel like it's it's not good for anyone Mm -hmm. um you know why glow got more seasons though no puppets I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't have the numbers uh, on what it took to, to get. Although I do know that, um, like in a couple, because this went, this went worldwide, um, and I do know that it was like the top-grossing film uh, in a couple countries. And so, as much as you know, we call it like a cult film. It, it did okay. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a, it has the feel of like a cult film now, just because it comes off as like wow, this is wild. Right. This is, this is out there. But I think it, I think it was successful and it, you know, there were, there were several films that kind of as unique as the dark crystal is, there were other films in particular from the eighties that give a similar feel with like the never ending story. And then some animated films with the secret of Nim. Mm-hmm. Right. And then labyrinth, which kind of has like a little bit of both because, mm-hmm. you know, there's at least a couple human beings yeah. and also David Bowie, who is technically <laughs> a human being. <laughs> I mean, that's what they say. He may have but been an alien. He may have been an alien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, a- absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, I think that what this film did is that it, it was created in a moment in time where I don't think it would have been created the same. I mean, Age of Resistance happened only because they were kind of banking on um, the fandom mm-hmm. of of the film, and so I don't think that like it would have ever come to fruition as this kind of spontaneous idea like, oh, we should do this this storyline about these Gelflings and, the, you know, like it yeah. wouldn't have happened without the film. Um, so I kind of take that out of, out of contention here. But I do think that it is just a really, really special movie because I don't think it could have been made today. And certainly without... Again, giving really giving full credit to all the other individuals who are part of this um, couldn't have happened without Jim Henson and and his determination to see this. And I mean, it was interesting, um, you know, looking at some of the behind the scenes, uh, like little mini docs. And, you know, he already was doing quite well with with the traditional Muppets and um, and he just had such a passion for creativity that he's like, no, I just need to do something different. So even though he was already a pretty busy guy, uh, he, he needed to kind of like express himself in this way. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was, especially like you said, like looking at some of like the mini document, like documentaries on it and how, excuse me, he, like it just shows that creative spirit he had of like oh I need to mm-hmm. I made a push myself in a different way and and what I love about like seeing some of the documentaries is how much love and respect he had for his puppeteers mm-hmm. you know yeah. of like how the like well you know how the costumes get made oh well he would even say like oh well this needs to be tweaked because it needs to be lighter for them or you know 
they can, you know, embody really anything. And I just, I don't know, as a performer, I was like, oh, like just having that type of leadership and that Mm -hmm. love, it just kind of warmed my heart. And the fact he even got like, he rolled up his sleeves and got in, like literally got in the trenches. I don't know if you guys have seen that where it's like with the Gartham um, and Jen's getting tossed around, like he had to wear a crash helmet. Have you guys seen that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, wow, he's like ready to get in there, get like, it will like get down and like dirty, if you will. Like just because I was like, he's like freaking Jim Henson. He has a crash helmet and he's like, like doing this puppeteering. I'm like, that's fantastic. It, it is fantastic. And and I love hearing that, that like care and again, I'll go back to this word, like respect for the, the performers and the creatives and the technicians um, who are part of this. So, I mean, again, I think that just all contributes to like a really amazing film. I think it's interesting too, because um, like from the little bit that I picked up on, they weren't going to necessarily have the Landstriders, but it actually it was the performers who were like, no, we can actually do this. And so, I, I mean, I was watching footage <laughs> of them moving. I was like, that does not look comfortable they're, they're so at awkward. all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they they just, I feel so bad for the Landstriders because they go from like this really awkward existence to getting like torn apart. I'm like, uh, or, I know. Or falling off a cliff. And it was like, yeah. oh, no. And then, <laughs> like the squeal. Yeah. Like, oh, God. oh, the squeal. Yeah. So they, they have kind of like, uh, unfortunately, these characters have like kind of a thankless position in the film, but also the performers um, manipulating them. I mean, I just found that really interesting that. There just must be this passion like people just need to express themselves a certain way. And so even though I believe like Henson and, and company were like, no, we're probably not going to do that. It was the actual performers like, no, 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 we can't. We can do it. We can do it. And they were like, OK, like, so <laughs> like put me in I coach. Just, I got this. I got yeah, this. <laughs> exactly. Like Rudy, you know, like I just I find that so interesting. Just this like this like intense need to express yourself in a certain way and be creative. And I, I really respect that. Um so yeah, and okay, so I'm gonna before I forget, take the pin out. Oh, oh we had a pin. I we had the pin in the podlings. <laughs> okay. Because Anne, have you ever been introduced to Fraggle Rock? I have seen Fraggle Rock, yes. Yeah, so I have been introduced to it. And right when you said Pauline's and Fraggle Rock, I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the similarities. Are- oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was like, as soon as I saw them in their like underground caves and partying, especially like Fra- Fraggles love to party. Down at Fraggle like, Rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, this is so fun to see something that obviously led to this other, this other franchise. And um, I did read briefly that like, in some of the earlier versions of the script for uh, the Dark Crystal, that there was more kind of attention put towards like these this underground world, um, and that that eventually had to kind of be um, kind of ta- like taken away just for I don't know monetary time, whatever reasons. And so this was a way for them to kind of express what they couldn't put into the film, and that's kind of where Fraggle Rock came from. Interesting. Cool. Um, yeah, so I and it makes it makes all the sense in the world to me, you know, between just like the way that they live, the way that they behave, the way they look. Um, I thought that was really fun. I mean, fra- okay, Fraggle Rock was not like 
like I'll, I'll be really honest it wasn't like my thing it wasn't like my jam but i am familiar with fraggle <laughs> yeah rock. no i yeah. what i always found fascinating about fraggle rock were the uh, little construction dudes yes! that would oh, yes! build yeah and then <laughs> the fraggles would always like eat their structures they'd like tear them apart and eat portions of it Oh, I don't that's remember right. that. Yeah. I, it's been a while. <laughs> so the Fraggles had a bit of a destructive side to them. <laughs> well, yeah. And I got that from the Podlings, too. Like the Podlings, they just wanted to have fun. They did not care. They did not care. <laughs> they just want to dance and like like yeah. play their music and drink. Yes. And it's like, it kind of like I was, when my, my boyfriend and I were watching, I was like, because he's a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. And I was like, oh my God, they're like hobbits, babe. <laughs> like, it's kind of like that. Oh, yeah. That joyous kind of like, let's just celebrate. And oh, I love the Podlings. There is, there is a connection there. I could see that too. Yeah, there's just this like this joy de vivre. I'm saying that wrong. I think I'm the Hobbits. i saying a lot of things wrong this podcast. The Hobbits have a little bit more sense of uh, propriety about them. They would they would never allow there's... their dwellings to be in such <laughs> poor sure, states. Sure, sure. <laughs> they do yeah. seem very like kind of organized in a certain way. They like to have fun though. They like to have fun they though. Like, yeah. Um, and the podlings, man, they, yeah, I, here's the thing though. I will say this much. So like Jen, like Kira, like great protagonists, but I mean, Kira in the same way that Jen had been raised by the mystics, yeah, she was raised by the podlings. This is the only family she ever knew. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as those like <laughs> beetle-ish, whatever they were called, the, like, um, the Garthen or Garthen. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Garth- Thank you. As soon as they come crashing in, she's like, Jen! And she just completely forgets about all of her podling family that have raised her and protected her. And it, I was like, okay, Kira, we know where you stand. Like, you've known Jen for all of, like, a couple days. Well, but- in, in, <laughs> in podling society, the safety of your guest is paramount. Okay. So, well, I don't know. I made that up. Yeah, yeah no, I know. <laughs> I was all for those, like, oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, that completely makes sense, you know? Well, I feel like they all would have supported her. Like, no, save the guest. I mean, I get it. They are literally the last two of their kind, as far as they know. I mean, like, look, he, until, you know, he set off on this journey, thought he was the only Gelfling, and then she thought the same. And yeah. they, So maybe there are others up there. Um, but I just, you know, I'm kind of teasing because I do love this movie, but uh, I found that really interesting. No, that's yeah. kind of like, I didn't really think about because like, but it's true though. It's like Kira only had eyes for Jen at that point. And, but yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's like, oh, your family. Oh, but that's right. But yeah. Jen. See ya. But Jen. <laughs> <laughs> I will say before, because uh, this has been an amazing conversation, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up Fizzgig. Oh yeah! Uh, How have we not talked about? I him? know the best character. Like I was like thinking in my head, I was like, I, like I have to. Hopefully, we talk about Fizzgig because like that's like whenever I watch it, I'm like, oh, my favorite character. Like when Fizzgig throws a tantrum, I'm like, yes. I get ya, yes. I get ya. <laughs> I loved this creature. I don't know what it was. He was amazing. Um, but he was amazing. His sometimes they'd show his face and he just looked so wise. And then he would just mm-hmm. start screaming. Yeah. <laughs> and actually when he was uh to your point, Anne, when he was throwing that fit, um, and then finally Kara's like, okay, you can come. Uh when he opens his mouth, 
super, super wide. I feel like he has like an interior, like he's a little terrifying as well. He's like, he ha- yeah. he's like cute, terrifying. He has a second yeah. row of like teeth in the back of his mouth. Did he, you guys notice that? reminds me of Pac-Man. Oh, yeah. Like oh, yeah. a fuzzy Pac-Man. See that? Yeah. He's, yeah. Definitely see that. I mean, it's it's interesting how these decisions are made about characters that ultimately make it into the film because, I mean, I feel like... You know, there's always time and, and cost concerns, even in an average film. But I feel like you have to be that much more, I don't know, meticulous when you're saying, okay, this is a character that absolutely needs to be in this movie. Because if you say that, then you are assigning to that character X amount of dollars and X amount of time and energy mm-hmm. um, for it to come to life. And so I I personally um, feel like Fitzgig brings a kind of energy that like definitely was needed in a kind of comic relief. Yeah. He did bark a little bit too much in the uh, <laughs> castle. Oh yeah. It's like, like come on. They're up. so close. Yeah. Come on. Fisk. Get, get, get. Could be quiet for one second. <laughs> but I mean, how do you feel Anne about like, um, I guess specifically Fitzgig, but just in terms of like the characters that were part of this particular story, do you feel like they all, held a place of importance could we have done away with any of them you know what where do you stand on kind of like the the character choices that were made i definitely like i think it all just melds so nicely like mm. you know like you have kind of like the little bits of comic relief that are kind of needed with like kind of like a, a, a no pun intended with saying dark but like you know a dark kind of storyline with the dark crystal sure um and then also you get like characters like Algra who are like Mother Earth and they're kind of like really weighted, but they're kind of a joy to see. And then you kind of get that little bit of scary, creepy darkness from the Skeksis and then the calmness from the mystics. And then you have Jen and Kira who are guiding you through Mm -hmm. this whole new land that we're seeing. So I thought it was a lovely blend. I mean, I'm always more of a more Fiskig personally Um, Mm -hmm. or more Algra in a story. But I thought, yeah, I, I loved, uh, yeah, when Augur would have to sit down every oh. single time, <laughs> 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 or like the hands that, on the hip and like, humph. yeah, like, it was so great. <laughs> I I do, and I feel like that, like whether we're talking live action or not, the side characters are kind of always the more entertaining ones usually, because yeah. then the main characters are kind of the straight man or straight woman, and and so we don't get as much like humor off them typically. Um, but I. I mean, I I loved all the characters in it, even the ones that terrified me. Um, <laughs> especially. Especially the ones that terrified me. But I, you know, when you kind of take a step back, you know, just in terms of like storytelling and creating worlds, you know, I'm always impressed um, by what comes out of somebody's imagination. But I found it so interesting, you know, between the Gelflings and the Mystics and the Podlings and the Landstriders and the Skeptics say it Skexies? thank you yeah. um i mean just these beings that personally i've never seen like kind of before or since i i find it really fascinating how these and again like I, you know we're given a lot of credit to frowned and and his contribution that kind of like provided the impetus um for for this to move forward but I am just like in awe 
of of what was created and the way that it was executed. I I think it was done so well and and honestly, truly, I kind of sit back and say, like, I just don't know how they did this. Yeah, I I mean, aside from just the the designs and the creation of these like two contrasting sets of characters between the mystics and the Skeksis, the the like the storyline like all of it is like really rewarding. It's great just watching it and seeing, seeing these characters moving around through the story. But then at the end when the crystal is healed and mm-hmm. you see that they were just like, like opposites of the same, these same mm-hmm. original characters that I now know were called the Erskek mm-hmm. race. Mm-hmm. It just, it brought it together in a way that certainly when I was a kid, I, I, I didn't see it coming because I was a kid. Like now when I'm watching, I'm like, it's pretty obvious, especially when the mystic <laughs> bursts into flames. Right, right. As a kid, yeah. I'm like, I, I probably just wasn't that smart as a kid. I was just watching it going like, what happened? Why did that yeah, uh, yeah. guy just burn up? But right. yeah, no, it's, it's just an amazing film. Thank you for bringing that up because I totally forgot to. So, Anne... What did you think of this like ending where these two different beings come together and and in particular what were your thoughts about that like unified being that they became Well definitely with the unified being I remember as a kid like be, I, I remember just like the thought when I looked at them was like oh that's really interesting and I never thought that those two would create that Mm-hmm. You know, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like especially being a kid, I guess I thought when they would come together, they would have like a little more of like, um, you know, elements. Like, but the fact they're in glowing light, I was like, oh, okay, that's really interesting. Um, but I, I also thought that was kind of a really cool like idea, you know, especially like watching it and like the puzzle of like two, you know, what was undone, the two will become one. And then mm-hmm. seeing them come together was like, oh, okay, that's really interesting. And like that they the crystal not only healed the planet, but it healed them as well. And so I thought that was so unique. But I remember being very puzzled when I saw them come together because I'm just like they're glowing. Yeah, what's happening? What's happening? It yeah. was <laughs> Yeah, it was really interesting. I was looking really closely and maybe I missed it, but I feel like at the point where they become the Erskex, yeah. um, they didn't even like bother to move their mouths anymore. They yeah. just kind of had this like telepathic way of, of communicating. It took me a second to actually like identify their face. Like, yes, yes, what is, yes. What, what am I looking at right now? Is that an eye? Is that a nose? I don't know. And because they weren't moving their mouths when they spoke, it made it. Yes. Much more difficult. Yeah, yeah, totally. So they were interesting. And I mean, I found the moment before they merged the most interesting because the mystics seemed to know exactly what was going on and were yes. preparing themselves for it. Whereas the Skeksis, oh, Derek. No, you got it. Okay. You're doing fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. Um, they were, I mean, it seemed like they probably had an idea of what was about to happen, but because of um who they still were in that moment they didn't want it to happen and they were like yeah freaking out essentially um so i thought that was really interesting seeing how they were reacting to what they knew was about to occur i still found the urskex uh kind of scary um <laughs> <A little bit. laughs> like oh and uh, yeah to, go ahead oh no to bring up the point of like of not knowing where to look because i was like yeah where's 
okay, what's the eyes? What's the mouth? Yeah. Like, I think as a like that makes more sense. Why as a kid, I was like, I don't get it because I didn't know where to look, <laughs> like or where like exactly where they were talking. It, I'm like, what? Where they were talking, they yeah, it was a really interesting choice, and I don't I don't disagree with it. I just um, there, I, I mean, so. What I found really interesting and what I thought originally when I heard that there was going to be a prequel to The Dark Crystal is that it would somehow talk about why it was cracked. Because earlier in the movie, when uh, Jen and Kira first encounter Chamberlain, they're looking at like these these old writings on the wall. Words, as Jen would (laughs) would call them. What are these? Words. Yeah. (laughs) And you can see... You see like this depiction of the crystal first getting cracked. Mm-hmm. And then when the Erskex are are like brought back, they're unified. They basically say like, we're going to help your friend. Our bad. We're going to peace out now. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> and I just, I wish I could have got a little bit more of that lore, but alas. Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I, no, no, I, like I absolutely agree. Like especially in that moment of just knowing a little bit more of like about these creatures, like where they came from, and like why they came here, and like you know. And I think there is like I think there's a book of like if I'm not mistaken that kind of goes into their history a little bit more of like where they came from. Like they, I think they were banished. I think that's right. I think there's something that goes more into it. Yeah, but definitely in the film, it, it kind of comes across a bit abrupt because it's like, thank you. We've healed her. Goodbye. You know? Yeah. <laughs> we were pretty arrogant. We made this mistake. Um, Sorry you had to for suffer. You know? <laughs> that for, for a thousand for years. For a thousand years. <laughs> How long was, was this 1,000 years for you? It was a few seconds. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because that's the way it is. Those beings, like, time means nothing for them. They were so. celestial beings. Yeah. Also, I thought it was interesting that, like, you know, they talk about how the um, Skeksis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, how they destroyed the Gelflings, but it's like there were only like 10 of them. So what did they. There were more. In like over the years, and now there's only 10? Yeah. Over like, I think, uh, I, I don't know. You, you might know more. And. Just because of the age of resistance. Yeah, can you explain that, <laughs> Anne? I was like, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm like, uh, what's that? Is that my phone? I got to go. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Because <laughs> I, I think from what I've read, like with the book, I think there was 18 originally that came. And because I remember in Age of Resistance, there were more Skeksis. Um, and then, because obviously spoilers and things happen. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely more. So I think... Okay. Like at this point, it's like they're at their like lowest number, essentially. Got it. More Skeksis and, and Mystics. So they're originally like more of Okay. All of but them, like right? more more because even if it's like double the number, that's still only like 20 of them. And that feels like kind of a small number to wipe out an entire Well, they created species. those um, those giant crab people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. You thought of them as crabs? Garfin. They look like they look like giant beetles to me. They're very crustaceanish. Okay. It's like kind of like lobster meets beetle type of yeah, feel. Okay. Like um and then like also with like Age of Resistance, it kind of shows like how the Skeksis like were able to kind of take control a little bit more or like, you know, and have that more manipulation and kind of that charismaticness that like they were 
people were led to believe that they were better than they were. So it's kind of interesting in that oh. one, like how it's set up because you're like, oh, okay, I can kind of see why things went down this path a little bit more. Hmm. Okay. Well. I thought it was just because of the rock lobsters. No, <laughs> I think they help for sure. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's the, then that is a shame that that mm. series was cut short because it sounds like they actually were doing kind of a cool job of providing more background and context to this world and how things kind of developed the way that they did. So on that note. No, but seriously, this has been just such a pleasure to have you on the show. It's really fun to because like, like I said, I hadn't seen the movie in quite a while. Derek, you remembered more, but I think it's been a while since you've seen it, it, it as it well. Been, yeah. So and this was really just such a joy to talk to somebody who obviously is such a fan of the movie and and had all you know you had all these like really awesome insights that's always something that is just so fun for us is getting to talk to people who have like kind of perspectives we haven't considered before um so thank you so very much for being on the show oh my gosh thank you for having me it it's thanks for having me to like talk about something I can nerd out on and like (laughs) like I feel like I'm holding back because I'm like oh gosh like it's like it's just I love dark fantasies there's just something mm. about them you know and so thank you for like giving like you know like one like a space for people to come and talk about like great 80s movies you know and kind of really like reflect on them and you know dive a little bit deeper and like it's just been so fun to like revisit like a little bit of my childhood so i appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> of course i mean that is something that you know, I'm sure for other eras, people have, I'm sure, different generations, similar emotional stakes tied to particular movies. But, like, I feel like the 80s, there's just something, there's just something about the 80s. I mean, that... I, I feel that way because of my age, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. but, like, I mean, come on. Were you ever going to get a Dark Crystal in the 70s? No. Were you ever going to get a Dark Crystal in the 90s? I don't think so. No. So it it really was kind of a special era in terms of like, and I'm sure you I could think, say that in kind of different ways yeah. for other eras as well. But um, I just I love so many of the films that came out of this time. So um, speaking of being creative and projects and all that fun stuff. Uh, and I was curious, you know, what you've been up to. I have kind of unfortunately had to put this disclaimer out that like I know the last 12 months have been challenging. The disclaimer has gotten longer. Every yeah. Time we bring yeah. It up, but yeah. I mean, hopefully, you know, n- not too far future. Well, I won't have to do that, but um, you know, so I, I understand that it, it's been kind of a crazy time for all of us over the last year, but are you working on any projects or is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners what you're working on? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm a part of a group called 3D1S Productions. It's essentially was we were actors who also have done, you know, directing as well. And we wanted to really kind of create a space where we can tell the stories we wanted to create to tell, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so we are we have a short film called Date Night, which is up online. It's on our YouTube channel. And then we're also working on um, a new show that's basically going to be kind of a carpool series but it 
kind of just shows the beginning of what happens and the aftermath of what happens. And so Hmm. you don't get to really see the middle, but you definitely can tell in the aftermath, like some things went down. Um, So it's (laughs) kind of like a little fun thing with that. And then also um, like my boyfriend and I, like we're doing um, like as safely as possible, we're doing like corporate Mm -hmm. production videos. We're helping a school Mm -hmm. out called um, Eula Boy School. Like they're a a Jewish high school and we're just trying to get, um, especially with how this year has been like a lot of their sports they really mm-hmm. didn't get a season and so we wanted um we were working with the athletic director of just creating like videos to show like one their team and how strong their team was and that even when like dark times happen there's still light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we've been working on that I love that. First of all, that carpool series sounds amazing. <laughs> um, so do you know, do you have like any kind of time frame of when that will start to become available for viewers? So we're in the middle of our pre-production right now. We are doing some tests. So we're hoping to start filming um, April. Okay. End of April is the goal. And so, and luckily like the turnaround should be relatively quick. So we're yeah. hoping by like. Okay. You know, that's awesome. That's yeah. like way yeah. sooner than I thought you were going to yeah, say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, maybe Couple September. Years. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Like, like we're, just, oh, go ahead. No. <laughs> no, just because, like, I get it. Everybody's had to delay these, like, projects so like i would i wasn't gonna hold that against you if you said september i just um that that that's awesome that you can get started on it that much sooner yeah we're because we're doing something with like um more like there was not officially gopro but we're kind of doing something with those type of cameras to where okay it's a little bit because we realize like as a group we're like man we want to tell like we we love telling stories what's a faster turnaround to tell stories oh if we do like, if we set this up the right way, this could actually be edited pretty quickly and we can kind of get these fun, just kind of fun, quirky stories mm-hmm, of like, mm-hmm. you know, we have themes like a birthday or like rain in LA and anyone knows rain in LA. <laughs> you know? I love that that's a theme. <laughs> Which it is. That is really, really amazing. <laughs> I, I definitely, I need to be pinged when that one goes live because that, that it's going to be amazing to watch. Um, and I, you know what? I love what you guys are also doing for the high school because you're so right. I mean, as much as we bemoan um, how difficult this has been for you know creatives in particular or adults in general. Oh, kids, Mm -hmm. you know, they've they've had a tough last 12 months. And especially when, um, you know, so much of what their experience is right now is like socializing and doing athletics and all that. So that is really cool that you're putting your talents towards that um, demographic and and trying to kind of help them in that way. So I find that that that's that's an awesome thing that you guys are doing. Thank you. Yeah, it's It's just kind of you see like these kids who like and it's obviously everything is done like so social distance and it's so safe and you can just tell these kids they just love like the sport and it's so nice and refreshing to kind of just see they're like they're really there for like the love of the game like they love Mm -hmm. this sport and it's just so I know it was just really nice to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and hopefully, like I said, things are 
hopefully turning around and there's that light at the end of the tunnel, like you mentioned. And um, we'll get there. We'll get there. So, all right. And thank you again for being on the show and uh, open invitation. Maybe if they bring back dark crystal (laughs) resistance, we'll find a way. way, I love it. You know, like any other puppeting stuff you want to talk about, I am there. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. And so, Anne, thank you, thank you, thank you for that amazing conversation. It was so, so very fun to have you on the show. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you. It was awesome. So leading us, I think I know the answer to this because you bought the film. (laughs) I did, yeah. I mean, we own a lot of the movies or we'll be able to just find them and, and record it. Sometimes we'll, we'll we'll rent it, but for this one, I'm like, no, I'm just going to buy it because I really wanted to see a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. So it, I I fully approve. Yeah, good good call. Good purchase. Good purchase <laughs> because those have been actually really really fascinating to watch. Yeah, uh, have very much enjoyed that. So, Derek, uh huh, would you watch this film again? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know when, but I'll I'll watch it again. I was kind of surprised by how much I remembered, given mm-hmm. that I, I hadn't seen it in probably decades you were really on it i was very impressed um i mean it it had been a very long time since i had seen it and so i except for like those iconic scenes forever impressed upon my my child brain yeah (laughs) um i had kind of forgotten a lot of the particulars uh, and you were pretty good about calling them right before they would happen. Yeah, different plot I, points. I don't know when I last saw it, but I know that I've seen it a lot of times. So I mean, the thing that I would enjoy seeing at is I I don't know if like, you know, at home on a Saturday night I'm going to be like, let's watch Dark Crystal. I hope we could get to a place again where we can go to like because in L.A. at least. It's it has been very popular to go to like outdoor screenings and yeah, stuff. It would be a great outdoor screening. That that's yeah. how I want to see this movie because there is this like kind of nostalgia and this like kind of cult following associated yeah. with the film. So I think it could be really really fun to see it with a group of people. Oh, the first the first time that Chamberlain makes that noise, oh. the, the crowd's reaction would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how that's that's how I want to see it the next time, and I'm hoping that we're close to being able to do that again. Yeah, it's such a part of like my childhood and. And like I it had I have so many great memories associated with it, even though it's such a like crazy, bizarre movie. So I'll I'll definitely watch it again. It it definitely holds a special place in my heart mm-hmm. in a way that some of the other movies that we've we've covered uh don't really. Yeah, so. I agree. Totally agree. And that kind of leads me to my call to action. Yeah. I mean, it's, (laughs) (laughs) I, okay, I'm very curious, because, like, I do think that we kind of say this with all of our movies, that you're going to have a different impression of this film if you did not see it kind of as a kid, even if that meant you weren't a kid in the 80s, if you didn't see it as a child, because I I hear that a lot, especially, like, I I know I keep referencing it in this episode, The Goonies, that people just, like, kind of don't get it if they only ever saw it as an adult. Um, and so I just really want to know, like, who out there has seen it as a kid, and d- do you share a similar, like, memory where you just have, like, these certain images burned in, because I do feel like it's one of those movies where there's, like, I mean, I, I know I'm referencing, like, the more horrific ones, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be that. Um, I don't know. I'm just curious to know what, what 
people feel about this movie from their childhood if it's a movie from their childhood. Yeah, I think I think that's a good one. I I was just gonna ask about like, have you ever like cracked a crystal that you had to <laughs> fix by using a wild stabbing motion to to put the shard back in? Would that work? And Wouldn't kinda, even work. Kind of messed think. it up the first time too. I, yeah. yeah. No, I don't. I don't. I don't really have one. Like if if you have. If you have literally anything that you would want to uh, say about this film, yeah. that's my call to action. Oh, okay. What okay. do you got? Well, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's the same handle for all three, and that is at 80s Montage Pod. 80s is 80s. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Episode sneak peek coming up in two weeks. Oh, what's it going to be? Okay, so you're looking at me as if you really don't know. I really, really don't. Okay, okay, that's fair. I knew the last two times. Yeah, you you were you were kind of on a roll. But I had so you much were... focus put on the Dark Crystal yeah, that there, yeah. there wasn't you, room for anything else. You knew that one was coming up for a while. Yeah. So the <laughs> next one that we have is Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Oh, interesting. I kind of want to say it like they... Eat, like on um, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, <laughs> dead men don't wear plaid. I kn- that's not like what they actually say. Dead men don't wear plaid, see? That's also how I kind of uh, okay, uh, imagine it. Okay, okay. Interesting <laughs> takes <laughs> on it. But that will be our next film. And of course, as always, we will have an awesome guest to talk about it with. So thank you so much for hanging with us, and we will see you again in two weeks. And we'll try to do better next time. Bye. Bye.